Welcome to the Brand Intelligence Podcast, the show where we pull back the curtain on some of the world's smartest brands and content branding initiatives. We will dig into how great brand marketing is the flywheel of growth and how to manage employer branding, brand compliance, and governance while growing a business and a team. I'm your co-host, Tessa Court, and today we're taking a deep dive into the world of employer branding and why brand positioning and employee communication for current and prospective employees is so critical. Joining me today is Ashley Hurd, who is a global HR and culture guru and importantly, founder of Manager Method. Welcome, Ashley. Thank you. Hello, Tessa. Nice to see you. So full disclaimer, Ashley is my cousin and not by blood, but she's one of the people that you would pick to be your family regardless. So I'm so glad you're here with us today. My Australian family, our Australian neighbors, not for long enough. Exactly. Exactly. And I think our family group chat is going to blow up when they see this episode. So we'll have lots of little Easter eggs in there for them, I think, as well. (laughs) But there can't be enough of that. Yeah, sounds good. So before we get into it, I'm big on theme songs. And I would love to hear what your theme song is, because I believe that everyone has a song that sums up their life or what makes them happy. I think you came into the family a little later than my wedding originally, but mine is Proud Mary because it was the first dance song for my wedding. And also, it's fun to sing in karaoke, more importantly. So I'd love to hear what yours is. Very, very important criteria. Uh, Mine is Hard Way Home by Brandi Carlisle. So one, when you listen to it, it's super catchy. So that's important criteria. It's about this idea of having the realities of life that you often have to go down a harder path than you might anticipate. And in the song, it talks about how, you know, you may want to take a choice to fake your death and never be found, which is a thought that many of us have to have an escape at some point. It's this idea that you got to persevere, and it's a fantastic song that's a bit of a deeper cut from my favorite, Brandy Carla. I love that. I think that's like my hospital fantasy where I have anesthetic and I just blank out. I think that's a it's a beautiful thing being able to do that and just take time out. So let's talk about your background first. And how did you get to be a thought leader on all things people and culture? And what was your journey in doing that? I think like a lot of people to be what's called a thought leader, which I would never call myself that. But so I fully appreciate you doing that and and family doing that. (laughs) But when you're a thought leader, you often have thoughts in your head for a very long time. You may have thoughts. They may seem, oh, they seem like common sense or like who would want to hear from me? And so for me, I actually, I've been a lawyer, I've been in HR, but I started my career in sales. And so we say everybody has their career quilt. For me, having that experience, literally doing cold calling and then in-person account executive roles before going to law school helped me lose a layer of probably self-consciousness. And so I started putting myself out there. And so my one moment really was when I was general counsel of a company. I was living abroad in Australia, uh, and the company was in the U.S., and we had a top 10, you know, sales, you know, an email from the CEO, top 10 sellers. And I, I know how hard that is. So I sent each one an individual email, and I was not head of HR yet. I was just general counsel. And I just said, congratulations, I know what an accomplishment that is. So happy to have you on the team. And the responses, I mean, literally multiple people were like, oh, my God, when I got an email from the general counsel, I was like, oh, am I in trouble? And <laughs> am I going to get fired? <laughs> am I going to get yeah. fired? And then they thought, you know, I've never heard this from another executive before or like that. Oh, that means so much that often those praises. I didn't send a gift card with. I'm sure now they wish I had. But I realized that 
issue of recognition and just it was just a private email meant so much. And so I started, luckily had the liberties and I became head of HR and my company was fine with me starting to do all this motivational stuff. So it was kind of my sandbox before then I started putting it on social media. But it was that moment realizing literally the power of congratulations and glad you're on the team and how much that can mean. And being from the South, that would just be a thank you note, right? <laughs> like, you know, Southerners are obsessed with that. But it is those small moments and just acknowledging people. Because a lot of times, and I say this to even to our management team, it's like, you know, when it gets to management, usually you're talking about bad stuff or things that are falling apart or, but you have to remember all the good things that are happening every single day within your company. And you've got to acknowledge that and you've got to talk about that. So you worked as a lawyer, obviously, and having a sales background, I do think it is the best skill because it takes away all your fear and any sort of shame that that anybody could possibly have. And then you started a TikTok channel and social media channels also on culture and branding and employer branding and talking about, you know, when I sum up, you know, when I watch your episodes or read your newsletters, it's really don't be a jerk at work, right? It's, It's like be a human being, be a good person, do the right thing. But can you talk a little bit about how you took that step to break out on your own to do, I guess, those social media episodes as well? Some of it was just ease of life and some of those technological platforms. So I started on on TikTok. And like a lot of people during the pandemic, I did some videos on TikTok or even before that, I went like a wine trip with my girlfriends and you make a video and <laughs> Tessa knows this well, I have a very quirky sense of humor. And so I, you know, I'd make a video and I would chuckle to myself and you put it out there and you're like, oh my gosh, like a few hundred people looked at this. I have no idea where these people are. And it is, whether it's a dopamine or like, oh, there's other people out there that appreciate this. Then the beginning of 2022, I literally thought, you know, TikTok's actually really easy to use relatively. So what if I just start doing some of these videos? And so I started adding some music, adding some captions, and tried to have it literally be two things. One, don't be a jerk. But also, I don't just like pointing out the no, but also what to do instead. Don't be a jerk, do this instead. And so using it and having that, it was easy. And I used to every day think of a new video and I would sit there for 15 minutes, 30 minutes, or sometimes longer as the human brain works and think of these videos. And I always growing up wanted to be a playwright or screenwriter, like always what I wanted to do. But like a lot of people, I went on and went into my career and moved on with life and never did it. And so this was my opportunity to seize it in like a very accessible, accessible format. And so that's why I got so much pleasure creating these videos for myself. And at first had a very small, teeny tiny audience. And as it resonated, it was both validating and horrifying. Like other people have this experience in the workplace. Well, I think also when you're trying to teach people about how to live your brand values and how to create a great culture through employer branding and things like that, there's so many stories that happen, like so many situations, because your company is made up of humans and humans are complicated and they react differently to Let's say I remember one of yours on Mother's Day, like sometimes people embrace Mother's Day and love it. But for people who might have lost a baby or have a difficult relationship with their mother, it's like that's a really challenging time for some people. So what I love how you do is you take the corporate messaging, corporate branding, and you give different angles of what could happen and how people could react to those situations. Yeah, I really try to have it really reflect what happens in real life. I tell organizations all the time, from small to large, it is incredibly hard to have a corporate culture or let's say an organizational culture for those nonprofits and even government agencies. Mm -hmm. It's very hard to have that overall because your culture is made up 
often of these pockets in people's experiences. And I've had times, even as a lawyer, we can ask my friends and people like, God, you love your job. I've had jobs where it was everything that mattered to me. And what that looked like sometimes depended on my phase in life when I had my daughter and I really needed to be more present and not travel and be home and have my evenings free. I had a job where my boss supported that. And it was, I mean, talking about water in the desert, it just was exactly what I needed at that point in time. It was also an entertainment company. We'd listen to music all the time. And so... I would talk about it to my friends. And so just like a brand and the trust that people have in your brand, oftentimes organizations forget that your team members, your employees are customers in the way they talk about your organization. And they live very real lives when they shut down their laptop, walk out the door, leave your facility. And so those experiences and the interactions they have at work truly, truly matter. Yeah, I always say to our leaders here all the time is that, Our company culture and our employer brand is what our staff thinks on a Sunday night before coming to work. So are they happy about coming or are they dreading it? You know, and, you know, hopefully most of them are really happy being here. But I think that's a really important thing. And I know we're going to talk about this later, but employer branding, you know, you do have these brand values and, you know, there's the corporate culture, so to speak. But then how does that trickle down to management because managers really affect the quality of somebody's experience with the company, doesn't it? Like it's at that micro level. It is absolutely. And I love the way you frame that in a very realistic, like Sunday evening, Monday, whatever your shift is, as you're starting your week, what's that like? And the the worst thing I see frequently on social media is the comments I get. I get a lot of a lot of comments, positive and negative, uh, as you might imagine. <laughs> but I'll get comments from people that will say, for example, no one ever loves their job or things about lack of tr- complete lack of trust at work or like no HR ever talks like this in very absolute statements. And in, in what that tells me is that people have had those awful experiences or their family members, loved ones have had really, really bad experiences. But I also tell organizations, just like a lot of employees assume that they're going to go their entire career and you know, face, you know, stress and pressure and unhappiness at work. And a lot of people just accept that maybe in the U.S. more than other places globally. But when you flip that and people have that experience, often for the first time in their career, where they have a manager that supports them or an organization that they see living their their values and they even feel at a basic level like they have trust, those people will not stop talking about it to other people, and, and they will be incredibly, incredibly vocal about it. And so it is absolutely those micro experiences that have a significant ripple impact. Yeah, absolutely. And so I guess in shifting gears and thinking about employer branding, we have a lot of clients at Intelligence Bank who use our brand portal, and we're seeing more and more extensions of this. It's not just about branding from a font and a color scheme and, you know, kerning between letters and things like that, you know, technical design things. But more and more, we're seeing our clients really extend their brand hubs into employer branding as well. So talking about brand values and company history and about how we behave. And more and more companies want not only to share that internally, but also they want prospective employees to see that as well. So can you talk a little bit about how would you define employer branding and why does it matter and and what does it consist of? Employer branding is, I mean, really where the rubber hits the road for the humans in your organization in that very real life experience. And a lot of times organizations will try to articulate it in a few words or a few statements, but it it matters because 
the quickest way to earn the trust of the public, of your customers and of your other employees is for people to feel like they can come and be themselves and be supported at work. The quickest way to destroy that and have impacts, whether that's someone that has access to confidential information, can badmouth you to others, or the flip side can can be positive, is the way that you treat employees. And so it can feel really challenging of what is our employee branding? What do we stand for, our employer branding? Who are we as an organization? But thinking about what that actually means, because a lot of organizations take those, you know, values on the wall or values in the handbook, And the people that see them most at times are prospective employees or juries. That's a U.S. thing in particular. But people don't look at them in between or they look at them and they think, well, that's not the organization. It's how do you translate that? And so as I work with organizations, I tell them, tell me exactly how that comes to life. And sessions that I do with organizations that have been my favorite are to take their values and we translate those into real, real behaviors. And I say translate, which can be kind of corporate speak. We just talk about what does that mean in real life? So, Uh, for example, if you have an employer branding and you want to put this message out there to your employees, to prospective employees, that we uh, have, you know, respect and belief in others. Okay, so what is that like? You could have a basic expectation that when people reach out, if you're reaching out especially to someone for the first time in an email chain, you use their first name. And that can be really basic. But think about the, that experience. You know, your values on the wall probably don't matter as much as the experience of an employee that gets an email from a leader that says, call me THX. They didn't use your yeah. name. You have no idea what that looks like. But how do you translate that into basic behaviors and an expectation? And yeah. so it's coming up with some of those corporate norms, or for those that don't like corporate speak, things that, that really translate that and make it come to life. I think there's rituals too. So, you know, I'm always one of those people who kind of hate that concept that you have these brand values, which I know companies and C-suite and HR spend a lot of time thinking them up, right? And they're there for a reason, but oftentimes they get stuck on the internet or on a wall or even in an employee brand portal without the action behind that. And I think it's about rituals around those things that make them great. And, you know, one of the things that we do, which I love, is we have Living the IB Brand Values Awards. And it's not something that management does. It's actually something that employees do for each other. So they actually nominate each other for exhibiting certain brand values, which I absolutely love that. But I do think people need reminding and they need to see it. They need to feel it. You got to act it out to make sure that people people understand what they are because a lot of a lot of companies without employee brand portals or without people like you in companies you know explaining how to bring those to life like it doesn't mean anything and they're like yeah whatever like those are just a bunch of empty words on the wall so i think that's super super important as well and i guess that really balances what i call like the spiel versus actions right so and that they reinforce each other do you have any stories around that about how you've helped companies really bring those to life one of the ways was actually an experience with my husband, who's Tessa's actual cousin. My real cousin. Real cousin. Who my mother said also should be on a podcast. <laughs> she says, what about Danny? He should be on the podcast, too. <laughs> I mean, there's a reason where yin and yang being on a podcast might be one of Dan's worst nightmares. But totally. he should be. He should be. But he has a wife that takes the mic plenty. So he doesn't <laughs> get enough limelight. But one example that he'd had is when we moved to Australia, and I'll call it out, he was working for a company called CEB, Corporate Executive Board, and they were acquired by Gartner, so it's called Gartner. And he was talking about how they had this ritual in the office in Sydney where they had an expectation that you did not email someone after hours, unless it was like 
absolutely urgent. And there was a pretty big expectation that things aren't as urgent as you might be inclined to. And so it was this idea that when you left the physical office, even though it was remote and you have cell phones and, you know, people have their work email, that someone truly could, in Sydney, go surfing or go to the Oval or do whatever you want, but you had that freedom and didn't feel like you were tethered to your device. And so I don't know whether it was, let's say, written down or it was just this expectation, but it was communicated. And he told me that. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, this is absolutely amazing. And this is revolutionary. I mean, it's a pretty basic concept, but having that respect for others. And there's there's some things with asynchronous communication. People are working globally. There's times that you can't always do that. So baking in those expectations of, of checking your communications. But if you're working with a group that's within a time zone and you know coming tomorrow, you're not going to have that necessary anticipation of what's in the email. That was one that was a ritual lived out in practice that absolutely spoke to me. And it changed who then Dan could be when he came home to our family. So he wasn't at dinner tied to his email or jumping back online. It really was an ability to rest and recharge that it had never occurred to me, sadly, to have that as an actual totally. expectation at work. And so I talk yeah. about that, again, knowing that depending on the industry and role in summer 24-7, but that was one that was much more revolutionary to me than it probably sounds as I say it out loud. <laughs> no, but it is. I mean, and I think the gift it gives employees, because I think a lot of times management, and I'm totally guilty of this, and I discovered scheduling emails a couple of years ago, and I'm really conscious of doing that. So I don't send emails in the middle of the night or at one in the morning when I'm thinking about something, I'll absolutely schedule it to make sure that I'm not interrupting people while they're not being a psychopath like I am sometimes <laughs> at work, I should well, say. Well, listen, so one thing I'd say is... I get pushed back to this idea about, about communications and the timing of communications that people will say, grow up, people are adults, people can respond, and that's that's ridiculous. You have to overthink everything. In the, the one pushback I give to the pushback is, as a manager or leader, there is a power dynamic. And so sometimes managers don't have that conversation with their team members and say, hey, only respond during these times. You don't have to be on 24-7. Or even if you say that, sometimes employees still have feel that pressure because they think this is my boss and I need to respond to my boss. And so I don't think it's sometimes babying, but sometimes I think it's thoughtfulness about how it can impact others. And your employees may be more productive if you can give them that opportunity to recharge and not feel like it's a race to respond first or a race to reply. Hmm. And tell me a little bit about how you think about the difference between brand values and corporate values. I mean, I kind of view them as a Venn diagram because there's so many overlaps in terms of what your brand stands for for consumers. And obviously there's physical properties of a brand such as colors, fonts, icons, imagery, things like that. But where do you think those two intersect? And where do you think there's blurriness of that? Because I think especially since the pandemic and with the rise of digital, everything is out in the open, right? Like, and it's really hard to distinguish both of those things. So, I mean, I guess brand and the way that I think about it is brand values are often around a campaign or a strategic idea. And the corporate values really embody how we want to think and act. But also, brand values have to incorporate some of that. And that's why we're seeing more and more of our clients kind of bring these two types of portals together to explain and educate what those things are. And I guess further to that, I also think about how, I guess, happy employees who understand brand and corporate value, or I guess corporate values, translates into happy customers, whether they're consumers, it's like your bank and you've got retail and you're talking to people at, at the retail level, 
or even from a B2B perspective. And there's just this intersection of those two. And we, we do have a Slack channel here at Intelligence Bank for Venn diagrams. And I think I'm going to create one for brand values and corporate values. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. And how do you distinguish or how do they kind of collide as well? I love that. And I love the term Venn diagram because I bring that out. And it maybe it's like a warm blanket from going back to elementary school to start with. But <laughs> two things to answer both is the idea of a Venn diagram is where they intersect, where I think brand values and corporate values intersect in the middle. And a way to think about that is, would my market, so my consumers, my partners, if they saw my interactions with employees, would they still make a choice to purchase from us, work with us, partner with us? And would they feel like my, the way I'm working with my employees as colleagues, as a leader, would they feel proud about their decision to do that? And I think a lot of people may take a step and think, well, I, we, and nobody's perfect. And so I think owning that. But think about that. Sometimes I have the conversation with my kids to say, how would you act if the head of your school were here and we're watching this interaction? How would your table manners be? And you frame it that way sometimes. And again, it should we should act the same always, regardless of who's in the room. And at the workplace, I don't think you should act differently when Tessa is coming to meet with you as you would anybody else in the organization. And I know, for, I know for Tessa, that you're a firm believer in that. But I think sometimes framing that, seeing, okay, if our customers were all standing here watching this interaction, would they feel proud about working with us? Ashley, you nailed it. That's so good. That's such a great way to think about that intersection, I think, because increasingly more and more of, I guess, corporate behavior and corporate values are getting shared on the internet. I mean, you know, if you think about employer review sites like Glassdoor and others where, you know, if you do it right, you get better recruitment and it's a lot easier. But if you get it wrong, there are huge problems. What are the costs of getting employer branding wrong? Those costs can be significant because those lines are absolutely blurring, whether it's layoff conversations that are on TikTok. One of my lines is a layoff conversation should never be short enough to fit into a TikTok, which is generally 59 seconds or less. But quickly, you know, those harsh interactions tend to go viral and you will see people tagging the brand. And so with social media in particular or Glassdoor, people see it. And so when someone's going and considering applying to an organization or certainly when they are getting into that interview process, a lot of times people, you know, as a leader, you want people that are going to be researching or, you know, cur curious. That's a trait that a lot of people, oh, I want my team to be curious. Okay, well, they're probably going to be very curious about what other people say about your organization. And so looking at those, that is a, a research. And just like review sites, people don't tend to go to those when they have a good experience but sometimes they do. And I've read the positive ones and you read that and you're like, I'd really want to work there. I've also read the others that are literally all caps, run, 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 run. And I tell people you often see grains of truth. And sometimes that's one person's experience. Sometimes that may be a, we had a bad Apple manager. But that more and more is your brand because your customers can see it too. I used to, like, for example, in diligence with corporate partnerships, part of my to-do, I am a honey badger, as Tessa knows, and I would, with a corporate organization, I would pull up their glass door or for vendors. And I said, what are people saying? Because, okay, you like this person on their sales team. Okay, what about their customer success function? How are they rated on Glassdoor? And are there themes that we're seeing that we should keep in mind if you're really happy with these people? They may not be there in three months' time. That's very smart. I love having the transparency of that. I just hate the fake review. The fake reviews just kill me because you're like, uh, that job never existed here. But it's just it's just nature of the beast, I think. But I guess what you said before about, you know, 
when people are working for a manager that people always have a choice. They can stay at a company or look around. And a lot of times their choices relate to their managers, but bad managers happen everywhere. And sometimes people unfortunately have an experience with the manager. Like they might love the company, but their experience with their specific manager isn't great. And I think hybrid and remote working just exacerbates it because it's really hard to develop a corporate culture when you're sitting in Chicago and the rest of the office is in New York or whatever the situation may be. But how does employer branding kind of help curtail some of the switching? What are your thoughts on that? Because I do think it's a huge issue that, you know, an employee's experience generally is with their manager. And how does employer branding or corporate culture pad that experience as well? It is. There was a study by the the research arm of UKG, which is a payroll provider earlier this year, that showed that your manager, your direct manager, can have more impact on your health than your doctor or your therapist, around equal to someone's partner or spouse if they're partnered. And that spoke to me. I've read that study easily 20 times that people are listening to this and they're like, that is sad. But um, <laughs> I'm reading that so I can talk about it. But I think it's especially true in hybrid and remote environments because it can be easier in person to have conversations, to get to know people, to read body language. You have to be very intentional. And so for organizations, giving tools, meaning like ideas and topics for things to say, or generative AI for I say is really important for managers. If you are a people manager and you are like, I haven't talked to this person in a while, going to your favorite generative AI source, do not put any confidential information in there, but even saying like, what are things I can do to, to engage an employee I haven't spoken to in a while? You'll probably get 10 ideas. Five of them, you may be like, absolutely not. But thinking about that or for organizations, having those norms can help managers who often don't know what to do. And so they don't do anything. And that silence doesn't breed anything good. It creates the manager thinking, oh, the team member will reach out to me if they have issues. The team member thinking my manager doesn't care about me. And so keeping up communications is incredibly, incredibly important. And that's a really key part of employer branding. Yeah, great. Ashley, thank you so much for joining us today. As always, you give me lots of ideas on how to make Intelligence Vague a better place from a corporate culture and branding perspective. And I just really thank you for your time. I am so happy to be here. I appreciate it. Next time, uh, next time in person in Melbourne. Yeah, I think you should have come out for this. I, I think Absolutely. so. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Brand Intelligence. If you have any questions or feedback, please send us an email at podcast at If you're enjoying the podcast, share it with others who might be interested in the world of branding and marketing. And if you haven't already, please be sure to subscribe to our podcast so that you never miss an episode. You can subscribe where the podcast is available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you download your podcasts. Once again, thank you for listening and see you next time on Brand Intelligence.